Hey, this is Ashley. Hey, this is Marcy. And this is School on Life, a weekly podcast about life, love, and occasionally libations. Make sure you check out our website at School on Life Pod. That's at S-C-H-O-L-I-N Life Pod. There you can find links to all of the information that we share on the episode, bios from Marcy and I, episode notes, and more. So again, visit our website at schoolonlifepod.com. And happy new year. We are so thrilled to kick off the first episode of the 2021 season of School and Life podcast. And we are thrilled to have you all here with us today. This week in Mentor Moment, I want to talk about the angry Black woman trope in the workplace and how to use it to your advantage at work. So often, Black professional women, particularly mid-level and senior level professional women, come to me when they feel like they've been labeled as an angry Black woman. They feel like they're passionate and they're serious and they are tenacious about their work, about their industry, about their clients, customers, or students. And they feel like this, this label or this persona of the angry Black woman is a mark on who they are and how they show up in the workplace. They get frustrated because while other people um, get revered as passionate or excited or tenacious, they get veered as angry and it can not only tarnish their reputation or they fear that it will tarnish tarnish their reputation, but they also are concerned um, about the, the fact that they're not able, they don't feel like they're able to actually righteously get angry in the workplace. Because what's true is that there's one thing to be perceived as angry, but there's also another to be actually angry at work and to feel like there are injustices, there are things that are going on wrong, there are inequities that really impact um, you know, your clients, your customers, or even yourself in the workplace. And what I invite my mentees to consider is how they can use this angry Black woman persona to their advantage at work. Um, because we unfortunately can't always change hearts and minds. And I think, you know, us burning ourselves out, trying to get everyone on our side or get everyone to see our perspective can be an exhausting task. So instead, I encourage my mentees um, to to leverage that persona if they feel like their colleagues or their bosses or their, um, you know, their staff might have that of them and invite people into a conversation around it. You know, um, you know, if people are telling you to calm down or to don't be angry, um, or they're like tiptoeing around you because they perceive you as angry, I invite you to invite them into a conversation around the behaviors that you're seeing that you're concerned about and like address it head on. So for example, if someone tells you, um, you know, oh, calm down, you know, you're, you're getting too excited. It's not that big of a deal. You seem angry. It's okay to say, Mike, I am angry. Uh, this, the way in which we're pro- approaching this problem isn't appropriate or, you know, isn't aligned with my recommendations or uh, isn't, you know, how, um, isn't aligned with the values of the organization. And I um, want to call a group together to address this issue over the next 10 days so that we can resolve it and, and get to a place that has more synergy. Uh, with our values or it's more in line with what our customers desire is it more in line with the best practices in the industry etc 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 I think that instead of trying to hide or shrink from our anger um, or pretend that it doesn't exist we can simply say that um, 
that something has angered us or that, um, you know, it's okay. Like and tell people that your, your, your anger, your frustration, your passion, your excitement is righteous. Right. Um, and, and what you plan to do about it, like why you feel that way. And then what you plan to do about the way that you feel or what you want them to do about the way that you feel. Um, I think that, like I said, the reasons why you feel that way are often righteous. It's often steeped in your experience or the experience of, of your clients or your customers or your students or your community, right? Your, your feelings are valid. So don't try to shrink from them or hide them or pretend they don't exist. Do the encounter intuitive thing of like actually saying, yes, I am angry. I am a upset. I am disappointed that the organization is moving this way. Even if it doesn't change things drastically in the way that you desire, making your feelings known, putting your feelings um, on the table valid, like validating your feelings to yourself, um, I think has value. Now, what I do want to share is that um, if your anger comes out as, um, and I was talking to a mentee about this the, the other day, a number of people's anger, and I'm using air quotes here, right? Um, comes out in tears. It comes out in emotions. It comes out in this like emotional expressive thing that happens for them. Um, and like, I want you to know that if that's how you are, if when you're angry, you, you're, you do a candy bearish and you start crying, but you really like this. Um, it's okay. Like that's a normal reaction to anger. Um, I, I do encourage you to not give them that anger though. Like, I mean, I think that um, you know, some of these employees' child don't even deserve your tears. So I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even give them that uh, if you can help it. Um, and if I think if your job is bringing you to tears every day, it's time um, for us to work together so that we can help move you from where you are to where you want to be because they shouldn't be bringing you to tears. But there is a righteous level of anger and indignation or feeling like you know, you want things to move forward in a different way. And while it can seem like a privileged position to really speak up for yourself, I do encourage you to advocate for yourself this year to use that angry Black woman persona to your advantage and to be, to boldly um, articulate what you want and what you desire in the workplace and how you plan to change or address um, things that are not in line with what you perceive would be right or encourage others to do the same. So next up in I Digress, uh, this week we are continuing um, our game show. This week we're doing part two and we are going to do medical dramas. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure you go back to the last episode of the year. You absolutely have to watch or listen to uh, our, our initial game show. Uh, show It was the last episode of 2020 and now in 2021 we're going to do a part two, but we focused it on medical uh, and TV movie uh, dramas dramas or comedies. Uh, Marcy and I, as you know, from being a listener of the show, are big TV fans and medical dramas and genres are one of our faves. So of course we have to focus this week's episode, um, Game Show Part 2, on TV dramas, uh, medical dramas. So listen, um, as we play uh, Kiss, Mary Mame, we're going to do What If We Had a Mysterious Illness, we're going to do medical TV show love stories, who we'd like to be our BFF, who we would want to operate us on, and who we want to be our psychiatrist. Uh, Marcy, I'll let you kick us off. Awesome, because I'm definitely going to need your insight before I can answer this first one. So we're going to start with Kiss, Mary Mame. Who would you kiss? Who would you marry? Who would you maim between the doctors of ER, John Carter, Doug Ross, or Mark Green? 
Okay, so ER is absolutely one of my favorite TV shows. It's probably the first TV show that I like I binge watched. Um, and so I'm super excited to um, answer this question also because um, my boyfriend, like over the holiday break, he was just randomly watching a couple of episodes of ER. And I realized, I feel like there's a season or maybe even two that I did not see. So last summer I watched like literally like five seasons of ER. And ER is probably one of the longest running TV shows ever. I think it has like 19 seasons or something. So I, but there are seasons that I even, I ha- even I haven't seen, which is like wild to me because I like have watched so many of them. Um, so this is an easy question for for me, uh, ER is an OG medical drama. It's the best medical drama to this day. It's the best medical drama that ever aired on television. And this is an easy question for me because Mark Green is absolutely getting named. Like he is super annoying. Like he just always had a, like had something to say, always like, um, like always had something to say, always, the answer was always no, nothing was ever easy. Mark was annoying and it's easy to like want to harm him. And I don't feel no way about it. Um, Definitely going to kiss Doug Ross because he was played by George Clooney and we swoon easy like definitely got to kiss him I hope a little bit more happens and then um no uh, then John Carter is the person I would marry sweetheart just freaking adorable bleeding heart totally dedicated to the cause um definitely marrying him like just just sweetheart of the show like we, we just love John Carter and we also marry him because John Carter came from a very rich and very wealthy family and um you know, all of our dreams are absolutely going to come through leveraging his um, doctor salary and the the old money gang that he is a part of. So yes, Mary, John Carter, kissing more with Doug Ross and Mame, <laughs> Mark Green. So Marcy, what about you? Kiss, Mary, Mame, John, Doug, or Mark? Oh, what's interesting is I've never seen ER and I was really, I have really had so many plans to like, oh, I'm going to watch some episodes over the break. Did not happen. I've never seen it before. So I don't know any of these people. However, Google is a great reference source. And so I gathered these personality traits from these characters and I honestly was going to say the same thing. Um, I don't want to harm anyone, but if I couldn't do the other two with anyone, <laughs> it would be Mark Green for Mame, um, Doug Ross, because apparently he was a womanizer. And I went back and forth between them of like, oh, you know, womanizers, they just, you know, don't deserve good things. But um, it was George Clooney. So, you know, old handsome white man, sure, why not? So that would definitely be Kiss. And then John Carter just seemed like someone who was like super kind and super sweet and just really passionate about people. And so he seems like the Marian type. So I agree. Yay. And yes, we're going to get you, we're going to get you in. We have to get you to watch ER. It's just, it's, it's a classic. I mean, and like the show, like, I mean, the show was on for literally 15 seasons. So like, you know, in the, in the nineties and in the early 2000s. So, I mean, just think about all the big things that happened in the world during that time and like how our world changed, like all those things happen on ER too. Classic, classic, classic. Okay. So next up is you've been sick for days with a mysterious illness. Who do you want to treat you? Meredith Gray, Dr. Sean Murphy, or Dr. House? Oh, this is such a good question because all of them are so good. But I think that if I had a mysterious illness, Dr. House is honestly like dope. 
I also think that Dr. Murphy, because of the way that his brain works and the way that he doesn't necessarily have to consider so much about like social cues or the like the little reactions from people or anything like that. I think the house is similar, but also like his issues <laughs> really <laughs> bring up a lot for me. <laughs> but Dr. Murphy, I really think that he would be like so intent on getting it done that he would figure it out. Uh, what about you? So you've been sick, mysterious illness. Who do you want to treat you? Dr. Gray, Dr. Murphy, or Dr. House? So this is tough for me because all of them are so good and they're so like diligent. But I think I want Meredith Gray to treat me. And this is why. Because Meredith is going to go to bat for me. Like, yes, she's not the savant that Dr. Murphy and Dr. House are, but like, she's not going to let me die. If she has to beat my heart for me, Meredith is going to beat the heart. Like she's going to like call in another specialist. She's going to figure it out. She's not going to let me go. Like Meredith goes to bat for her patients. And that's what I need. Like, I feel like Murphy and House will have moved on and Meredith will still be out there having a fundraiser to figure it out, like to get me the help that I need. So I got to go with Meredith Graham. So let's go with the medical love stories. So, um, you know, <laughs> the medical dramas are known for having sex in the supply closet, honey. So um, we are going to go with um, medical love stories. Like what is your favorite love story um, on a TV show. So Doug Ross and Carol Hathaway, um, which if you've not seen ER, you maybe don't have as much context, but you know that Doug Ross was a womanizer. Uh, Carol Hathaway, played by Juliana Marcolis, which we stand, um, was a nurse. So, you know, doctor, nurse, love story. Meredith Gray and uh, Derek Shepard, which that damn post-it note. <sighs> and then Maggie and Jackson from Gray's. So, Marcy, what do you think? What's your favorite medical love story? Can I choose none of the above? <laughs> One, because I just don't know Doug and Carol. So I'm sure that that was, had all of its fun things. I liked Meredith and Derek. Um, I think they were great. It was interesting after a certain point. Like in the beginning, it was kind of gross and inappropriate. And so a little like, it makes me a little uncomfortable. I hate Maggie and Jackson relationship but if I could just add my own little person in Maggie and new Dr. Bay those two I live I stand for them when he popped up in her hotel room this last episode even though COVID where's your mask golly but I stand for them so if I can add my own little caveat in there I would add Maggie and new Dr. Bay I don't know his name but him and then uh, if I have to pick from this list I guess I would still go with Meredith and Derek. What about you? What is the best TV show medical love story? So Maggie gets on my nerves in every scenario. So she's automatically out. Y'all already stand for mayor, fave. And then Doug Ross and Carol Hathaway, like she turned him. Oh my gosh, she just turned him into like this like playboy out there to like this soft, suppy, just like he couldn't even handle himself around her. I just love when a man like brings, when a woman brings a man to their knees. Yes. Um, but, ooh, I mean, I think, I think the one that, you know what, it's hard. I, there, it's a tie between Meredith Gray and um, Derek Shepard and Doug Ross and Carol Hathaway. And this is why. Because when I 
watched the recent episode, spoiler, when I watched the recent episode and Meredith was running to Derek, like I literally stopped breathing. Like I stopped breathing. My Apple watch was like, breathe. Like I was crying. They bring me to literal tears. That relationship and that heartbreak, it just, it just wrecks me. Um, And so like, that is like the most powerful, but the love story, like the back and forth and like, seeing it happen with Doug Ross and Carol Hathaway. Like, I think she had ended up having twins on the show. I mean, it was just like wild. So you know what? Not a tie. I'm going to go with Meredith Grey and Derek Shepard. But if you have not seen the love story on ER, like you have to see it. You just have to. Fine. I will check them out and figure out what the Doug and Carol, what would be Daryl, Daryl, <laughs> what that is all about. Um, so moving on. Who would most likely be your BFF? Addison Montgomery from Private Practice and Grace, Naomi Bennett from Private Practice, or Violet Turner from Private Practice? Whew. Um, Private Practice is absolutely one of my favorite um, medical dramas, and I wish it was on longer. I, I love the idea of like small private practice um, and the way they approach their work was just dope. Uh, BFF is definitely Addie, Addison Montgomery. She was smart. She was innovative. She had sex with all the best looking men on the TV show. Um, yeah, like hands down fave. Violet is, was neurotic, um, and, and experienced the most trauma ever. I can't be her best friend because how am I going to help you through all this trauma that you experience in this show? And then Naomi was like a pushover and I don't have time. That's my answer. What about you? Who would be most likely be your BFF? Now, while the little black girl in me is screaming out, like, it has to be Naomi. Of course it has to be Naomi. Addison is my girl. Like, I have always loved Addison. I think that the reason that I even started watching Grey's was because of Addison. <laughs> like, I can't remember if that's exactly how it worked out, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, but I just adore her. I think that she is such a, like, strong-willed person I mean don't get me wrong like she did dealt with the foolishness of Derek which is another reason why I feel a kind of way about Derek Derek and Mary does not think about it but um I just loved her personality I loved her energy I loved her spirit her way of just showing up and being her sassiness her just her rigor as a doctor like she was amazing and literally one of my all-time favorite characters um, on television. So definitely I'm going to be at BFFs with Addie. So let's see. Who would you most likely hire to operate on you? So who is your surgeon? Who are you going to go into the knife with? Dr. Richard Weber, Grey's Anatomy, Dr. Miranda Bailey from Grey's Anatomy, or Dr. Floyd Reynolds from Amsterdam? Okay, so here's the thing. I have not had enough experience with Dr. Floyd. Feel like in the future, this would be my choice, but I need another season to confirm. I'm going to go with Dr. Richard Weber. Season was Miranda's boss and tutor. So I want to go with the OG, Dr. Richard Weber, hands down. So Marcy, you have some illness. They The, the prognosis is you must have an operation. Who are you choosing? Dr. Richard Weber, Dr. Miranda Bailey, Dr. Floyd Reynolds. Chances are I'm going with Dr. Bailey. Like, yes, I want seasoned, but I don't need you to be over seasoned. I don't need you to be expired. <laughs> and why? <They're> over seasoned. <laughs> I know 
know Dr. Weber is amazing and he is wonderful and he's great, but he also, his emotions get too tied up into things. And granted, he don't know me, so I ain't got no feelings towards me at all. But I need your head to be in the right place. But Miranda, she don't care about none of that. She's like, listen, I have a job here that I have to do and I'm going to accomplish it. And so I know that she is going to be focused and she is going to be on top of the things that she needs to do. I also just adore her as well. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with Dr. Bailey. Okay. And last, but certainly not least, because um, the, the medicine of your mind matters most. So um, for the last question in the game show part two, we are answering the question of who would you like to be your psychiatrist? Um, so the options are Maggie from A Million Little Things, Violet from Private Practice, or Iggy from New Amsterdam. So you go first, Marcy. Who would you choose? This is actually really hard um, because I probably wouldn't choose any of them. But <laughs> y'all are forcing me to answer. I think I would likely go with Maggie. And some of this may just be because she's the most recent person that I have in my mind. But I feel like I know that Iggy B violated all kinds of ethical boundaries <laughs> and I understand why but that just I cannot stand like the violation of ethical boundaries and I feel like if I'm recalling correctly Violet had some of that too she just had a lot going on um and while Maggie has a lot going on it seems like she even though her boundaries are horrible with her friends because she keeps getting sucked into doing therapy for free for her friends that is not okay I think that when she is working with clients she seems to be fairly put together and fairly boundary. And so I would give her a shot. Them other two though, they real questionable. Um, what about you? Who would you want to be your psychiatrist? Maggie, Violet, or Iggy? So if I am on a television show and I have the option of Maggie from Million Little Things, Violet from Private Practice, or Iggy from New Amsterdam for a psychiatrist, I'm definitely going with Violet from Private Practice. Violet got deep. She was very methodical in her work. I love also that she worked in a private practice. So, you know, it's not sometimes just the mind. It's like the body too. And so it's like all connected. And she was really intentional about like sharing stuff with her colleagues and like figuring stuff out. Um, and I feel like she's a woman and her work was like very woman centered. She also got like, you know, like there was other like herbal stuff going on in the space or they, just like their whole approach in that office wasn't like, I like that. And then I just felt like Violet got to the heart of the matter. Um, and she like really cared about her clients. And you know, I didn't, she didn't have no boundary issues that I would feel uncomfortable with. I felt like she, like the way she approached her work was cool. Iggy mostly works with kids. I'm a grown person. So I feel like he wouldn't be best. And then Maggie, um, I feel like, she was too, if this makes sense, like she was too practical. I need you to like, like she would be like sharing life tips and suggestions. I don't need a life coach girl. I need a psychiatrist. Like I need somebody to go deep, not like general tips. And that's just like my perception of psychiatry. So for me, it's Violet hands down. She's my girl. And we digress. <laughs> Thanks so much for playing along with Game Show Part 2 with us. This was so much fun and I think a great way to kick off the podcast for 2021. So next up, Marcy, is All Black Everything. What do you have for us? So this week, actually, welcome to 2021. To start the year off, um, we are back to talking about Black girls because we love them. And I came across this really cool, I don't even remember how I came across it, but I came across this really cool Instagram page and 
community and organization called Black Girl Freedom Fund. And um, their bio essentially reads, imagine a future where Black girls are safe, healthy, and free. We're calling for $1 billion for Black girls to make it happen. And so they are asking for donations to their Black Girl Freedom Fund that really just supports the empowerment um, of Black girls, of helping them to realize who they are, um, what they're working towards, what they can be. They started it based on the four Black girls who were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan when they bombed the um, 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So that was a big motivation for them. It talks about like, of course, Black Lives Matter emerging and women, Black women wanting to get together to do something for the Black girls in the United States that are in crisis. I see a lot of things that go out about helping people in Africa and helping people in all of these other countries and poverty over here and poverty over there. And I just love to see people who are doing things for us right here at home. Um, and they believe that by investing a billion dollars into Black young girls and women, they are going to be able to make a change for social justice efforts, um, placing values in their lives, increasing their leadership opportunities. So I'm just really excited to support them and to support this. Um, you can make a pledge, you can make a donation. They have wonderful co-founders. Tarana Burke is one of the co-founders, um, Latasha Brown, all of these wonderful people who are supporting this fund and supporting this initiative. And so I would just encourage you, if you are interested in getting into giving back to our girls, definitely check them out. They can be found on Instagram at Black Girl Freedom Fund. And they have a website there for you to make um, donations and all of those things. So that is all for All Black Everything. Yes. And I think that it's like so important. Like one of the ways that we empower and support Black women is giving them our money, right? Like we can, we can rah-rah, we can sing, we can, we can, you know, cheer them on, we can send encouraging word, but we also should fund them. And so I love that we are like focusing on like very practical and like financial based ways to support. Um, and you can absolutely check for the link um, in the show notes uh, on our website or on your, wherever you listen to School on Life um, to, to, to share how to uh, give you a direct way to support this important initiative as well. Thanks, Marcy. That's truly all Black everything. So also this week, I am so excited to announce that we are going to be adding a brand new segment to School and Life. I am going to be bringing the arts of being selfish to our class. So every week after All Black Everything, we are just going to take a couple of minutes literally a couple of minutes to just talk about a selfish tip of the week for you to be able to apply over your life, over your week um, to improve self-care in different areas. So for those of you that don't know, I have a YouTube channel called The Arts of Being Self-Ish. If you search for The Art of Being Selfish, some other random things pop up. So make sure that dash is in there. And it essentially talks about these different pillars of well-being and wellness that help you to build a lifestyle of self-care and a lifestyle of prioritizing yourself. And it was primarily focused for Christian Black women, because I would have all of these clients who were Christian and Black who would come in and tell me that 
they're being selfish if they're taking care of themselves. They're being selfish if they set boundaries. They're selfish if they take time for themselves. And I was like, please help me understand how you can take care of other people if you're not taking care of yourself. So this channel focuses on going through these different pillars of mental well-being, physical well-being, emotional well-being, sexual well-being, relational well-being, spiritual well-being, professional well-being. And this year we are introducing financial well-being because y'all, we got to get this money under control. We got to be out here bringing in the money, bringing us prosperity, bringing in abundance. And so I really want to start addressing some of the mindsets that we have around finances and you all will be able to be included in that. So if you want more information, first things first is go to Instagram at B underscore self underscore ish to follow for updates also on twitter at b underscore self underscore ish and go check out the youtube channel um you can just search for the arts of being self dash ish and all of the videos will pop up there were two new videos released on this past saturday so every saturday new videos will be released and then i will come on here and give you a little tip from the most recent videos Yay! Shout out to the return of Be Selfish. I'm so excited, Marcy, um, for you in this venture. And I'm thrilled that you um, are going to be in integrating um, this important work into School on Life. So welcome to this new segment um, and look out for it right after All Black Everything every week on School on Life podcast. Uh, so finally, for this week's episode, we are going to celebrate our good sis Shonda. We already talked about her in I Digress and some of her great work on Grace. Um, and we're just going to keep it going to talk about Bridgington, um, her latest period drama on um, Netflix. So Marcy and I both had the great fortune of watching the uh, Bridgington television series uh, on Netflix over the holiday break. And we are really excited to talk talk um, about the Royals uh, on this week's um, episode. So let me just give you a little bit of a breakdown of the show in case you haven't seen it. So Bridgington is a, a mer- um, is played, like I said, on Netflix, um, and it's a drama um, who, which is uh, created by Chris Van Dusen and produced by Shonda Rhimes. Uh, it's based on a series of books, actually, Julia Quinn novels, um, and it's set in London, and it's all about high society um, and what I love about it is that the drama centers the Bridgington family, um, which is Violet, Lady Bridgington, and her four sons, Anthony, Benedict, Colin, and Gregory, and her four daughters, Daphne, Eloise, Francesca, and Hyacinth, um, and the um, several other families, including the Featheringtons um, and the... Um, I think there's another family as well. Uh, the the Danbury's... Um, Oh, the Duke. Uh, so the, the the Bridgington, the, the that family, um, and I think that one of the things that really stood out to me about the show, Marcy, and I will say, I'm in general, I don't watch a lot of um, period dramas. So the the thing that stood out to me was the um, like having black people be centered at uh, like be centered on the show. When I think about period dramas, when I think about king and queen and dukes and lords, um, I think about, you know, old rich white people with ill-fitting wigs. Um, So it was just so exciting to see black, beautiful folk 
um, in 4K on my TV, right? Like in, in, in all beautiful color. Um, and so that was one of the things that first stood out to me. Um, you know, what about you just in general stood out about the show? I definitely think that was a big piece of it. So when I first learned about Bridgerton, it was in a conversation, I want to say in one of my Black Girl Reads groups, and they were like, oh, this show is going to have um, King George's wife being portrayed as a Black woman. And I was like, er, let's let's go back and look at this. So, of course, with Netflix, it started just being like number one every day for the last week. So I'm like, let me jump in. And one of the first scenes was this beautiful Black woman sitting on this throne in all of these gorgeous fashions and y'all know I've been watching the crown for the last few weeks so it's so interesting to see that be juxtaposed like obviously the crown is trying to be more um accurate that's not the words I was looking for but it's trying to be more accurate in its depiction but just seeing those two things juxtaposed just really brought so much joy to my spirit but also, and I know that we'll probably get into this a little bit later. Um, y'all know that like seeing sex on TV is kind of a little bit cringy for me just because I don't, I just don't want to watch sex on TV, but I appreciate it for what it is. Like I appreciate sexuality being shown, especially in the way that it was shown in this show with the uh, with Daphne and this fine Duke sir. That whole development and just the conversations around how the conversations are not had around sex, just all of that, I really appreciate it um, being displayed throughout this show. So I thought we could talk about the um, show in sort of batches or bunches. Um, So much happened in the show. Um, So it's hard to even like, it's hard to even talk about all the nuances in one short episode, but the, the first thing that I kind of want to get into is just, you know, Simon's appearance on the show. Like he, he comes on, he's the, he's the Duke of Hastings. He returns to London um, to see um, to the affairs of his late father and that relationship, right? Like the relationship with his father, him being a late talker and like how his father like engages him. That was really painful to watch. And I hated I hated the fact that the the one father, black male fatherly figure on the show was so horrible. So like glad that we're we're being featured, glad that our stories are being told, but I hate that it seemed to be the same trope of a black deadbeat father. What did you think about that relationship? And like, what, how did, how was that impressed upon you? Yeah, I agree. That was, it was difficult to watch for sure. I think for me being able to watch this show, I had to take out all of the, the preconceived notions that we have about dynamics of race in on television, because it was also cringy to me that the main character was a white girl and that she had a black like she, this black man fell in love with her and all of this fun stuff that was happening. So there are lots of dynamics even, or even like the white girl falling in love with the, the black girl falling in love with the white guy or the way that like she, that little black girl was locked in her room and treated, right? Like there were so many dynamics I think were overlaid with race. That I had to just be like, you know what? For the entertainment of this show, I'm going to remove all of my lenses of like race and those dynamics that come up and trust that Shonda had an intention behind it and that she 
had us in mind first. So while it was cringy, I think I looked at it from the perspective of like, this is how white folks have been doing this in the monarchy for a long time. Like this is, they will have you to denounce your title and disown you from the family and kick you out regardless of what your racial background is. And so I think that that is kind of what helped me to just sit and watch it as if kind of in a colorblind, quote unquote, colorblind kind of way. Um, Because otherwise, I don't think that I would have been able to even tolerate majority of the stuff in there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like you kind of have to suspend reality just like the show does to really get into it. So one thing that was reality and I loved it was just how smart women are. So I love that Daphne was like, okay, I really can't stand you. You arrogant, you annoying, and you my big brother, best friend, which means you ain't really nothing. You ain't much anyway, because I don't think much of him because he's ridiculous. And so you're ridiculous, but I am going to use you to my advantage to get what I want, to get these other boys to swoon and to find someone who I can truly love. And I love that energy. Um, I love that she was like, I am going to use you in my best interest to get what I want. And I loved her sister, like that whole family and the, the women's approach in that family. Like they showed up again and again and again. Um, you know, Lady Violet, you know, Eloise was like, I am not trying to get married. I'm trying to go to college. What I'm trying to do is read and learn and be actually out here like Lady Whistledown. So I love just seeing the women in the show, like just be smart and cunning and thoughtful. And I actually, surprisingly, I guess, didn't really see the Duke and Daphne like getting it to, getting it on. Like I really didn't see that. Like I really did think, I didn't think she was going to marry the, the prince or whatever, but I did, I felt like I, like, I felt like that, that relationship was going to be more purposed than love story. Um, but what did you think about their ruse um, and how they were trying to play their parents in the, the community uh, against each other? They were going to fall in love. Like it was so obvious from the first, I, there was never a doubt in my mind that they were going to get together and fall in love. And that was going to be the love story of this show. Like that never, I always saw that coming. Um, I thought it was cute. Well, okay. So let me say this because I actually talked to my clients about this. There is a level of intimacy that always comes from vulnerability. So if you are constantly spending hours talking to people and having fun and the person that is your friend is the person that allows you to be most vulnerable, right? Like that's the person that you can let your guard down and you can see the true aspects of one another. So once they did that, I was like, oh, it's a wrap. Like we're already going down this road. So saw it come in, knew it was going to be that the whole time. Um, But I do agree with you in terms of like the dopeness of every woman in this show, because they're all like, well, let me not say all. (laughs) There are some some questionable people. Um, But for the most part, the main characters are very much so like progressive. And even Daphne in her, like, I'm going to be somebody's wife one day I think that hers was more so far from ignorance than from like this is really what I want and I think that if people had actually communicated certain things to her she would have even more so been able to use those things to her advantage like I love how she was able to flip um being selected as this diamond 
into being able to do whatever she wanted to do and have her foot on everybody's neck and then get the finest man in the whole entire show to give her a baby because that is the one thing that he did not want to do so I'm, I stand for Daphne like you had go ahead girl and all the women in the show I think they were portrayed those characters were developed so well yeah I I, I agree I just love when w- women stand into their own um however the manipulation, oh my gosh, the manipulation when she got on top of him, when she learned what sperm was and what it did, you know, the manipulation of um, the 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 um, cousin of the Featheringtons uh, who tried to trick that poor boy into uh, marrying her, um, right? Like that, uh, I think it was... Co- uh, was it Colin that got tricked? Yeah. Um, into marrying her, like the deception, the lies. I mean, definitely appropriate for a TV drama, but man, I was cringing like so, so often throughout the show. Um, but, and, and, and I didn't like how Daphne tried to blame all of that on her mother. Like, what exactly what in what detail is your mother supposed to explain pulling out to you? Like, I don't know what you want her to tell you. Like, she was just like, if you would have prepared me, girl, what, like, which part of sex ed do we cover like that? And I also, like, while yes, it was, his decision was based on trauma and revenge. I wanted to honor his, like, I don't want no kids. I w- I wish he would have just said, I don't want them rather than I can't have them. But, but I want to honor that. What are your thoughts on that? I- so I agree. I do think that she was a bit dramatic towards her mother. Like you, like, you didn't tell me that he could pull out and I could not get pregnant. That was a lot. I think though that he should have just used his words because he used them very intentionally. And to me, that was manipulation. So I think all around they were manipulating people, which was inappropriate. I was like, girl, if he can't have kids, I can stay on top of you, come inside of me if you need to, because what? You can't have kids. So <laughs> listen, <laughs> tip for tat. Um, so yeah, I just, I felt like he should have just said, I don't want kids and this is why, which would have saved us a whole bunch of drama. But of course, we have a drama, so we have to do these kinds of things. Um, but also, like, all of the people in the show were manipulative. Like, even the girl that tried to talk the dude into getting her married. That is because the mama was the main one trying to manipulate her. So all of these people are just like (laughs) super messy. And I guess that's why we have such a great show for us to be talking about today. Indeed. Any other characters, any other storylines that you want to bring up, Marcy, that like tantalized you? Yes. (laughs) A couple of them. The one, like Lady Danbury, I loved her kind of stepping in and teaching Simon and taking him under her wing, especially after the loss of his mother. Um, of course, again. Question like, about that though. Was that, was that his mother's friend? Like what is the relationship between, okay, that was just her friend. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it was just her friend. Okay. My boyfriend was trying to tell me like that was her, her mother. That's his grandmother. I'm like, no, I think that's just like her homie. Okay. Yeah. Good. It was just her homie. <laughs> Maybe a god mom, but just her homie for sure. So I love that she was she was brilliant. Um I love the girl who they thought was um Lady Witherdown or whatever her name was. Whistle down. Mm-hmm. Whistle down. So like that doesn't sound right, but whatever. So I really enjoyed her. She was fun, even though she was short and lived. Um, but can we also talk about the artist guy who was having orgies in his house? Um, That's the lifestyle 
has been out forever. I don't like y'all, y'all try to act like these girls had just arrived on the scene in the 80s. In 1813, the girls were out here having parties, having sex, having beards having wives and having husbands, <laughs> the girls were out here. And I loved his monologue when he was like, I am brave. Like, you don't know what it's like to not even be able to look and smile at your love. Like, I loved his monologue. He had a small part in the show, but he set a stage and a scene and stole the show. Like, I loved his energy. Yes, that was really good. Um, so yeah, and old girl at the end telling him, um, I don't want you, stop trying, like, let me go, let me be. I just appreciate people sending their truth to me like, you're not good for me, no matter how good the D is, no matter what other things you're putting down, you're not good for me. And I'm going to enjoy what I have and not keeping up with your foolishness. So those are some of my other favorites. I wanted her to go to the ball though. She was so cute. And I kind of just wanted to see her in high society. And I kind of felt like she did that out of fear. Like she just was scared that he was going to leave again, which is a, a valid fear because he's a flake. However, I feel like he was serious this time. You could have given him a chance. I didn't like that. She kind of just was like, I am not dealing with you. Um, and who knew that like being an opera singer, opera singer was like low grade. I would have thought that they would have been like the highest of the high, but I guess that's a job. Okay. Like that you're a job. Yeah, that's a job. And, and the girls don't have jobs. So <laughs> they do not have jobs. And so you are the working class. And no, I, she absolutely should not have went back to him. He left her. He was paying for her apartment. He was paying for her to live. And he was like, actually, get out, girl. Go find you somewhere else. He took a stop break. Playing. He took a break. We just a short break. Okay, Ashley. All right, girl. He took a short break. He what he should say, he said, I'm gonna be right back. <laughs> I'm gonna be right back. <laughs> he came back. Right. Y'all keep signing up for this struggle love. <laughs> Y'all keep on signing up for this struggle love and keep blocking your blessings on this. I'll be back. Listen, speaking of struggle love, um, we'll have to watch Sylvie's Love and talk about it because one of the things I've heard about it um, is that it's a Black love story that includes zero struggle, which makes it very boring. <laughs> but like, but like, I think that's awesome. Like, we need to like see more boring Black love stories that don't center us getting shot and killed. Uh, shout out to literally every movie that came out in 2020 about Black people and being in love so we digress again but shout out to Bridgington shout out to Shonda Rhimes and shout out to all of the beautiful luxurious ways in which black people were seen on tv over the holiday season um and in our next episode we'll make sure that we talk more black tv um in um for you to kick off your 2021 um year with so that wraps up this week's episode of school on life thank you so much for listening make sure you tell a friend about school on life you can share um um, the podcast with them on Instagram. We're at School and Life Podcast on Instagram. Again, that's S C H O O L I N Life Podcast on Instagram. And then um, you can also check out our website again at schoolandlifepod.com. We look forward to talking with you next week. School's out. Class dismissed.